of you were here two weeks ago when I said that the Bible was an idol? Who was here when I said that? Not as many as I thought. All right. I said a couple weeks ago, I said the Bible is an idol. That's what I said. I said people use it as an idol. And I said sometimes people even take Jesus and they twist and turn and manipulate Jesus to fit inside their biblical beliefs. That is a big statement. It's an inflammatory statement. And so I preached on it last week or two weeks ago, and I'm going to preach on it again because I can't just leave that there and not preach on it. So here's what I'm going to do today. I want to talk a little bit about why Forefront believes in Scripture. I want to talk about why Forefront uh, believes in the inspired Word of God, the inspired Word of Scripture. And I want to talk about uh, some of my journey, how I went from a place of disorder to really reading the Bible in a new way. So it's going to be a little bit more informal. We're going to interact a little bit. We're going to be a little bit more practical. Is everybody okay with that? Okay, good. Sounds good. All right, history lesson. Here we go. How many people have heard of the Enlightenment? You guys are good. Good. So the Enlightenment happens, what, three, four hundred years ago. It's this really important time because what it is, it's a time where there's all these scientific discoveries. And in fact, the basic building blocks of science that we still use today came from this Enlightenment time. All right? uh, Enlightenment was sort of set up because the printing press comes along and people now have access to reading and writing. It's an exciting time. And so all of a sudden, um, the church, which used to be needed, uh, for people to listen to the gospel, to read, uh, to, to hear the scriptures being read, for answers. Uh, you no longer need the church in that way. You now have this whole new group of thought and thinkers and people who are writing really cool things, and it just it explodes. Minds explode. Um, what happens is this. The church responds in really, really terrible ways. Uh, how many people are Catholics? Where are my Catholics here? Not as many as first service. Catholics, you know what you guys did when the Enlightenment happened is you doubled down on the Pope. That's what you did. You said, oh my gosh, this science is way too much. It's really the Pope that has all the answers. And so don't listen to anybody and all their Enlightenment thought. Just listen to the Pope. He's infallible. He's close to uh, God. And that's what we're going to do. We're not going to pay attention to anything else but the Pope. Where are my Protestants here? My Protestants. Me too. Me too. You know what we did? We said, okay, we're doubling down on Scripture. We are doubling down on the Bible. Everything you read in this Bible is the truth. It cannot be contradicted, and it will give us all the answers we need. We don't need anyone else to tell us about science. We have the answers right here in the Bible. It was the, uh, Christianity's way of trying to um, oh, keep status in the middle of this Enlightenment time. Okay, so uh, one of my favorite stories ever, Acts 10. A sheet comes down from heaven, Peter sees it, right? And it changes the way he lives completely. That's a really good experience for Peter. But according to this new Enlightenment style scripture, we can never have that experience because what happens in the Bible is in the Bible. And anything that might tell us otherwise is not good. Okay, that was our reaction to the Enlightenment. Um, a couple weeks ago, I talked about Paul. I talked about how Paul broke the rules of the Old Testament to bring the gospel to the Greeks. Now, that's good for Paul because it's in the Bible, but it's not good for us. Never do that because what the Enlightenment told us is that we couldn't mess with that kind of scripture. Okay, Paul might be able to do it. You don't do it. The Bible is here. It's perfect. It's inerrant. It's from God, and that is final. Okay, so we created a finality in our scriptures that 300, 400 years later is still happening today. How many people um, still hear, like, religion versus science debates? They don't, it's like apples and oranges. You can't even really do it. But because of the Enlightenment, we still have these religion versus science debates that should never have happened from the beginning, okay? They're two very different things. We have that. Um, 
There are people who um, see contradictions in Scripture, and there are plenty of them, and they're really not a big deal, but they see them, and they're like, well, I can explain this contradiction away in 26 easy steps. And it's like, who cares? <laughs> Just let the contradiction be there. It's really not a big deal. There's still truth in the Bible, but people are so afraid, and they're so concerned, uh, because we've been set up with an enlightenment reaction to the way we read Scripture. Here's the one thing this did do. The Enlightenment reaction to Scripture, it brought about order. Okay, that's what it brought about. So when we read our Bibles, how many people were told that all you need to know is in the Bible? All the instructions you need are right in the Bible. Raise your hand if you were told that, right? And you're like, you know, you're struggling with mental illness? Read the Bible. Like, you need a job? Read the Bible. Like, you know, everything you need, is it, it can be found right there. This is sort of Enlightenment reactionary thinking that it's all ordered what we can, we can find it it's in there it's going to teach us how to live it's black and white it's concrete um, this is good in some ways I have two kids my kids read the Bible I want them to find order through the scriptures I like that for my kids when my kids read stories and they see rights and wrongs I like that it's creating order for them when my kids see Jesus who says love the Lord your God with all your heart mind and soul love your neighbor as yourself I like that it's creating a sense of moving forward in order for my children now, children think concretely, but what happens after we hit puberty? We start to think in what way? Say it loud. Abstract. Yeah, we start to think abstractly. So tell me why it is then, as adults, even though we start to think abstractly, still want to read scripture concretely. It goes against the way that we have been created by God. And so what we do is we hang on to this order, okay? Well, the Bible says it, and because it says it, I'm, this is what I have to do. It's, it's order, it's black and white, it's right here, it's concrete. So we're forsaking the way God made us, the abstract ways in which we're able to think, the gray areas, to hold on to this order. As I was um, writing this message, I was writing it, and uh, I read this awful, awful blog about a woman who disowned her child. And she disowned her child because she, she quoted scripture. She said, he's gone the way of the devil, and Thessalonians tells me this, and Corinthians tells me this, and this is what I did, and he didn't repent, and so now I disown him, and I'm very sad about it. And that broke my heart heartbroken. And I was heartbroken because it was like this woman keeps order. You know, she, she, she has to know that it doesn't work that way. You know, God does not want us separate from our children. And yet that's what her Bible told her. That's what happens when we create order and stay with order in the scriptures. That usually brings us to a place of disorder. Um, we always joke around at Forefront. We say at Forefront, we're gently pushing people into disorder. Um, <laughs> And in some ways we are. Forefront says that scripture matters, but we want it to matter. We want to push people past the idea of order. So when we talk about disorder, uh, these are when the questions start to pop up in scripture. Like, oh man, like, uh, you know, I don't think the earth is 6,000 years old. What do I do now? Or, or it seems like there's people who, um, there's people who aren't being treated equally. And why, why not? Like, what, what's going on? God's okay with that? Um, for me, it was the violence of God. There's a violent God who tells people that they should be slaughtered, and that's okay. God, God's okay with that. Um, how many people feel like at some point you've gone through a little bit of disorder when it comes to the scriptures? And if you haven't, I'm really sorry. Because um, I, I hopefully I'm not putting you through right now. Uh, in my own life, in my own disorder, it was about violence. It was about the anger of God. I remember being about 12 years old and saying to my mom, Mom, God loves me so much. I grew up in the Church of Christ where you have to be dunked underwater to be baptized. And I said, Mom, God loves me so much um, that, that, that he wants me to be baptized. 
but if I don't dunk my head under, God's going to send me to hell? And my mom was like, yeah, you have to be dunked. And I was like, okay, <laughs> right? Does, I get, does that God loves me? God is so loving. God is so loving that God says God's separate from me but has to kill his son in order to like me again. Like, I was really struggling. And then the Old Testament, forget it. The Old Testament, I was just like, this is a mess. How am I going to believe again? And so when we get to disorder, we can do one of two things. We can work through it and fight through it, or we can abandon the scriptures. How many people have heard of the nuns? The nuns that, you know, so I'm talking about like the, the census. In the census, they say they're a religious nun. You know who I'm talking about? I would dare say that. Not a new Not a new Yeah. <laughs> Yes, these nuns, these nuns in the census, yeah, N-O-N-E, yeah, I should have done that, spelled it out. Um, People who say they don't have any religious affiliation any longer, that would have been a better way of saying it. Um, And I I disagree. I think they do have some context in which they know they want to worship, or they know there's a God, but they can't get past the ordered way of looking at Scripture and the ordered way of looking at God that they had before, so they throw the whole thing out. So why why does Scripture matter at forefront? Well, it matters here because, frankly speaking, anyone can throw us into disorder. Any organization can throw us into disorder. But we believe that Scripture is inspired. We still believe that it is truth. We still believe that it matters. We believe Jesus matters. And so we want to bring people out of disorder and back into what I like to call reordering. A reordering, a new lens in which to see Scripture. So for me... I struggled deeply with the violence of God. I struggled with it the whole time. And then I started to look at the context of Scripture and the culture around it. And I saw that back in the the early Iron Age with Abraham and Isaac, I used to be like, why would a God want want Abraham to kill his son Isaac? That's so messed up. But then I started reading that all the other nations had gods, and they uh, they were all doing child sacrifice as well. And wait a second, our God says, don't kill your child. Well, that seems like that's a step towards love like an evolutionary step towards love. And then in Deuteronomy, it says, it's like this terrible verse that says, like, um, uh, when you capture spoils of war, do not rape and kill women. You can capture a woman, but you must marry her. And I was was like, that's terrible. But then I was like, but wait a second. Every other nation is raping and killing. Our God is taking us a step closer to love, inclusion, by saying, don't do it. Our God is evolving with humanity and giving us a bit more love and grace as we evolve. I think about Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. You have all these nations building these giant temples and the sacrifices are crazy and they go on for days and there's incense everywhere and Isaiah goes, God doesn't like that. What are you doing for the orphan and the poor and the fatherless? Like, what are you doing for for them? That's what I like. That's what I care about. And I see a God who is moving away from like the big, I'm powerful, I'm mighty to take care of the least of these a more loving approach. Hosea, where all these nations are going, well, the reason we lost this war is because our God hates us. Hosea comes along and goes, you're dumb, Israelites, because you are, but God keeps coming back to you. And he keeps coming back to you. God keeps coming back to you. You are not going to be forsaken. That is the God I began to see. And who does it culminate with? It culminates with, we're in church, so it's the church answer. Jesus. (laughs) There we go culminates with Jesus. We want to see the character of God? We get the character of God in Jesus Christ, who to this day is still controversial in the way that he operated. To this day, he still does things that just feel absolutely backward but make all the difference in the world. That is who our God is. That is how I came to reorder. There are things in our life that we have to reorder. 
there are questions that we have that need to be reordered. Things that we, we think, should, do I need to throw this whole thing away? Do I just need to walk away from this? Can we reorder it? Well, how can we reorder it? How do we read scripture in a way that means we're going to reorder, we're going to see through a different lens? Um, I think there's three ways we do this. Uh, and the three ways are this. We trust our experience. We trust what scripture has said before. And we trust tradition. They call it the tricycle. Okay? So it's the tricycle. What happens when we don't do one of them? Yeah. There you go. Well, it's a, no, it's not a bicycle. Stop <laughs> ruining it for me. <laughs> that was so funny. It completely threw me off. <laughs> um, no, we need all three. We need all three to, to, to ride, to get going. So here's the first thing I want to tell you all. Trust your experience. We have been taught over and over and over again that we cannot trust our experience, that what's in the Bible is already there, and if you feel differently about anything, you can't, you can't trust it. Don't do it. That is a lie we are told. Okay? Nothing. There is no plain text reading of the Scripture. Scripture is always subjective. If Scripture wasn't always subjective, we would not have 30,000 denominations. Okay? We would have one denomination because we'd all say it's subjective. Here it is. There's the plain reading. But we don't. We're interpreting it different ways, and God is working in those ways. Trust your experience. Here's what happens when you trust your experience reading Scripture. You get to say things like, hey, I believe that there might be a spirit moving me in a new direction. I believe that I'm a part of this living book and that God is still at work. I believe that I'm loved enough that God's going to use me to build God's kingdom, and that's going to come by the way I see Scripture. That's happening. Then we test it. How do we test it? Well, are our thoughts, our experiences, are they consistent? Do we see that consistency throughout? The consistency I just talked about in terms of God, where God kind of moves us along in a gracious and loving way. Um, are our experiences gracious and loving? Do they, do, are they consistent with what we see in the rest of Scripture? Are they consistent with the way tradition has worked in Scripture? So let me give you an example. You guys down for an example? I just said that because I had to get to my spot. Uh, um, so I'm going to give you an example, Ephesians 5. Uh, Ephesians 5, we're going to get into the husbands love your wives, wives love your husbands. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. <laughs> All right. And in this, people have looked at this and interpreted it in a couple of different ways. Some ways they said this is uh, to prove that women uh, are subject to men, right? But then there's an egalitarian way that we look at this. No, this proves that women and men are on equal planes. Okay, so what do we do with this? So we read it, and it says, Wives, submit to yourselves to your husbands as you do the Lord, for the husband is the head as the wife. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Okay. And we get down to the bottom, and it says, um, you know, husbands, uh, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Right? So we have these two very selfless ways of looking at this. And so the question I begin to ask is this. I say to myself, okay, well, let me look at Scripture. In Scripture... Do I see over and over again an exclusion and a subjugation? Or throughout Scripture, do I see a lifting up, a making equal, a bringing into the fold? What do I see? But when I look, I see a lifting up. I see equality. I see a bringing into the fold. So, okay, well, my experience in saying that women are equal to men, it has some merit here. What is the tradition behind this? Well, the tradition behind it is this, and, and you have to Google this stuff or read books and Tradition's a little bit harder. But uh, the tradition is this. Um, 
in the time that Paul was telling this to the people of Ephesus, uh, the people of Ephesus had these giant homes called insas, and in your insa you had a bunch of family members living there, where indeed the husband was in charge. Husbands, you know, wives submit to your husbands. That was already happening, okay? But then the wife didn't even sit with the husband, wasn't even allowed to sit near the husband at all. The wife slept in a different room than the husband. The wife was only there to produce an heir, that's the only reason the wife was there. In fact, in, every, in this culture, in the culture of Ephesus, husbands had boys and other girlfriends on the side, and it was perfectly acceptable. It was normal, okay? So wives submit to your husbands. You can see everybody going, eh, whatever, cool. Wives are doing that anyway, right? But then Paul goes, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church selflessly. That changes the culture. That changes everything. Because now you're, sitting, you're not sitting in, the, in different rooms. You're in the same room. You're sleeping together. There's no more boys and girls on the side. It's just about you and your wife. It's about um, taking and giving from one another. It changed the culture completely. That's what it did. And so tradition tells us that the passage like this, my experience is there's equality. And I see that it changes the culture. I see that it's consistent in scripture. And so I say, is it possible that, that God is pointing us towards more inclusivity, into more love, into more grace, into more, into more um, I don't know, uh, you know egalitarian ways. Is, it, is that possible? If so, trust your experience. Now, on the other hand, I have never met this guy, but it's my mentor's uh, college roommate. <laughs> and my mentor's college roommate one day went to my mentor and said, uh, hey, I've been reading the scriptures and this is a true story, by the way. Hey, I've been reading the scriptures, and uh, I really think God's calling me to be a mystical sex priest. <laughs> and he's like, what? He's like, I, I believe God's calling me to be a mystical sex priest. And he goes, I think I can show the love of God uh, through having sex with lots of people. So let's test that against the scriptures, shall we? So when we do that, do we when we test it against the scriptures, do we see that happening throughout scripture? No, we really do not. It doesn't happen. In fact, when we see Paul talk, Paul often talks about, hey, um, you're having these orgies with Dionysus, stop it, okay? You have a wife. Husbands love your wives, right? So it, it, it doesn't test well with the culture and the tradition either. Uh, so it kind of gets us to a place. If your experience with Scripture is less loving, if it puts your selfish needs before the selfless ideologies of others, it probably doesn't work. If it's one of these things that leaves people out, it probably doesn't work. If it subjugates people, it probably doesn't work. Trust your experience. Test it with the Scriptures and with tradition. Forefront believe Scripture matters. We believe Jesus Christ came and he says, you've heard it said this, but I say... He's given us a new way to live. We believe that God is still using us through Jesus Christ in these scriptures today. Trust that God is using you in the scriptures. When you go home today, I want to give you a verse. So I'm going to put the verse on the screen. It's Hebrews 4. And you have a sheet of paper. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to write it down. Write down this, this, this Hebrews 4, 13 to 16. And I want you to go home. And you have homework. I want you to meditate on this. And when you meditate on this scripture, I don't want you to go, hmm, what do you think it means? Or, oh, do I have it right or do I have it wrong? I want you to pray, God, what do you want me to see in this? God, what should my experience be in this? Read it over a couple of times. What line sticks out? Does it give you trouble? Trouble's a good thing. Does it bore you? It's not necessarily a bad thing. 
And then pray a prayer of thanksgiving. Prayer of thanksgiving that we have a God who loves creation so much that our God says, you know what? The scriptures that I gave you, they're alive. I'm in them and they're living in you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the fact that you continue to use us, that you give us these holy words, these important words, uh, these tr- this truth, this inspiration, God, that, that your spirit works in it and around it and through it and continues to push us, continues to, to get us thinking differently, reordering us along the way. So give us grace when we lack the courage. Give us grace when we get it wrong. Give us strength to know your spirit is at work in our lives. Pray this in your name. Amen.